Good morning, my dear church families. It's so nice to meeting you here. Today's Bible reading is from Genesis,、um, chapter twenty-nine, verse thirteen to thirty-five. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him. And kissed him. Then he took him to his house, and Jacob told him all that had happened. Laban said to him, "Yes, you are my own flesh and blood." After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, "Just because you are my relative, should you work for me for nothing?" Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, "I will work for you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel." Laban replied, "Better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me." So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and it seems like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, "Since my time is complete, give me my wife, so I can sleep with her." So Laban invited all the men of the place and sponsored a feast. That evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. And Laban gave his slave Zeba to his daughter Leah as her slave. When morning came, there was Leah. So he said to Laban, "What have you done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me?" Laban answered, "It is not the custom in my country to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration." And we will also give you this younger one in return for working yet another seven years for me. And Jacob did that. He finished this the week of celebration, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban gave his slave Bahem to his daughter Rachel as her slave. Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed. He loved Rachel more than Liz, and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Liz was naked, he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. Laban conceived, gave birth to a son, and named him Reuben, for she said, "The Lord has seen my affliction." Surely my husband will love me more now. 
She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and he said, and said, "The Lord heard that I neglect, and has given me this son also." So she named him Simon. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, "At least, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him." Therefore, he was named. Levi, and she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, "This time I will praise the Lord." Therefore, she named him Judah, and at least stop having children. Hi there, good to be with you this week. Now, last week Isaac got us back into the story of Jacob and Esau. It's the brains versus brawn episode of Survivor in the story of Genesis. The beefy Esau deceived by his sneaky brother. All the drama is there. If you read on in the story, the deception just keeps going. As Jacob and his mum Rebecca,、um, they outwit and outplay brother、uh, Esau and dad Isaac. Jacob steals the blessing and therefore、uh, the inheritance from his older brother. Now Esau wants revenge. So Jacob runs away from home in an attempt to outlast his brother and to avoid being eliminated, so to speak. Lots of parallels here with our modern Survivor dramas and Survivor shows. Now, I personally haven't been watching the latest season of Survivor much.、Uh, one of my kids has、uh, catches up on it on、um, on Channel Ten. But you see, there's a problem, right? The problem with watching Survivor on Channel Ten means that it's only a matter of time until a kid sees a particular advertisement and says something to you. Hey, Dad, what's this Bachelor show about?、Uh, well, there's a guy and all these girls, and they're trying to make him fall in love with them. It's like a competition, kind of. But Dad, why are they kissing? Hang on, he's kissing another one. Does he kiss all of them? Okay, enough, 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 enough of that. Channel Ten, try Channel Nine. Okay, then. So, what's Love Island? And why are these guys getting married at first sight? What about Channel Seven?、Oh, the Olympics are finished. Oh. There's a show about a farmer. Great, sounds good. Who wants a wife?、Oh, did you just watch a Bluey? <laughs> It's everywhere, isn't it?、Uh, shows about finding love, the perfect soulmate. This is the way to unlock happiness and meaning, or at least a way to try and get famous these days. Now, I'm not going to debate the pros and cons of these kinds of shows, except to say that you know it's not the best way to learn about relationships for kids or for anyone. But you kind of know that already. But the fact that there's so many of these shows, and there has been for such a long time, it reveals something deep about our culture. This deep-seated、uh, value we have: the search for Mr. Right, the search for Miss Right, someone to complete us, to give us, to make us happy, to give our lives、uh, meaning. And it's not just the trashy、uh, reality television; it's the Disney princesses who are only complete once they find their prince charming. The Disney movies that reinforce that good things happen to the good and the beautiful, and bad things to the mean and ugly. Everyone is looking for their happily ever after, that thing that will、uh, fill the hole in your heart that will make your life complete. For some, it might be that one true love. For others, an achievement, a lifestyle, or an experience. All of us, in some ways, are often looking for our happily ever after. Now, as we follow、uh, Jacob through this story, he's looking for his happily ever after too, and in a way, we expect him to get it because Jacob's the one, after all, who has received these promises from God. 
His family is promised to be great, to become a nation, to be blessed, to be a blessing to the world. He's Prince Charming waiting for his happily ever after. But Jacob's story, it's no simple Disney fairy tale. It's more like a cross between a Disney fairy tale and some trashy dating show full of scandals, twists and rivalry. It's pretty messy. As we meet the characters in the story, uh, we see the gaping holes in their hearts and how they desperately go about trying to fill them, how they go about it in all the wrong ways. As we read, we see it's an absolute mess of a family, but we also see how God works through this, uh, even works through this mess of a family. God works in them, God works through them, which is actually really comforting for us in the mess of our own lives. And I think what I want to do today is not just tell you, no, stop chasing your Disney dreams or the things you think that will give you value. Because I think lockdown life is a bit different to normal, right? You're, not, you're already not chasing your professional dreams and travel plans. It's, it's a hard time to think about new relationships and new friendships. We aren't making plans because it's really hard to see what even the short-term future holds. But what we do have in this, in this lockdown moment is, is a chance to diagnose what our hearts are doing. I, I don't think it's business as usual for us. We do have some pretty specific challenges, some pretty specific opportunities too. Uh, this moment is shaping our hearts and it's worth uh, noticing that as it goes by to think about how this season is shaping us. We're going to see God's hand in Jacob's soap opera life we can keep seeing his hand in the uncertain times that we live in now. Well, let's get into the story. As I said last week, Jacob ripped off his older brother, uh, tricking him into trading his birthright uh, as the older son, trading it for a bowl of stew. And between that bit and the bit we read today, we, we see this coming to reality. We see uh, Jacob and his mum trick blind old Isaac into thinking that Jacob is actually his older brother Esau. Isaac blesses Jacob, makes him his heir, gives him all he has. Esau finds out. He's furious. He plans to kill his brother once his dad dies. And so uh, Jacob and his mum plan Jacob's escape. They they send him off to his ancestral homeland under the, the pretext of finding a wife among their people. He goes off on a long journey. Now, for me, I tell my kids about my own experience of living overseas as a child. And I tell them, you know, we didn't have Skype back then or WhatsApp or even email. And phone calls were expensive and the phone was stuck to the wall. And we were just so much more isolated and uncontactable than we would be now. But even more so for Jacob. He's traveling alone into an unknown future. He's running away from the brother who hates him, away from his father who didn't care much for him. He's left his mother who really did love him, but now he's all alone. On the way on this journey, God gives him a dream. God gives him a promise, which is some comfort. But Jacob has a gaping hole in his heart, wounded by his dad, missing his mum, scared of his brother, an empty hollowness. What will give his life purpose? Then one day he sees it. He sees her. Chapter 9, verse 4, he runs into some shepherds and he asks them if they know his uncle Laban. And they say, yeah, he's nearby. And you know what? Look, here comes his daughter Rachel with their sheep. Jacob looks, Jacob sees, and he's like... Jacob's jaw hits the floor. He jumps up to help Rachel with with the sheep and and he gives her a kiss and he weeps with joy and, and they rush off to meet the family. And just like that, Jacob is home. He's got people to be with. 
He's safe from the troubles he's left behind. He's got work to do. He's got a job with Laban. And he's, he's pretty keen on this beautiful Rachel and he'd like to get, her no, get to know her better. But before that, he's got to deal with her dad. Uncle Laban has taken Jacob in and says there in verse 15, Laban said to him, Just because you're my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now in those days, I don't think it was uncommon for there to be some kind of financial transaction around marriage, but this is extravagant, this is ridiculous. Seven years of work to marry your daughter. It's ridiculous, but Jacob is just love-struck. So seven years feels like nothing, he thinks. Well, Uncle Laban, right, he's tricky. And he doesn't exactly say yes or no to to Jacob. Notice that. Verse 19, Laban replied, Well, better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Jacob's infatuation blinded him. It meant he heard what he wanted to hear, and so he got to work. And the years zoom by because of his love for her. Now, in our culture, marriage based on love is kind of the norm, but it's pretty rare in the Bible. Marriages were arranged, they were a community decision. But here we see how much Jacob is just head over heels. He must have her. Maybe Rachel will fill this gaping gap in his soul. The seven years pass quickly. We get to verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Since my time is complete, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Now that's pretty bold in English. The Hebrew is super blunt. And honestly, it's not the way you would normally talk to the father of of the bride. But seven years of hard work, Jacob is pretty keen for his happily ever after. So they have a feast. I imagine they get pretty drunk. It's dark. Uh, No electric lights. The wife, as per tradition, is, is veiled and hidden. She's brought to Jacob in his tent. Takes off to his tent. After seven long years, he finally has his prize. This beautiful knockout of a girl he laid eyes on so long ago. The morning comes. The light filters through the gap in the tent. Jacob rubs his eyes. His head's kind of throbbing from the night before. He's a bit bleary, but happy. He reaches over, take a look at his prize, this beautiful bride. But, but it's not Rachel. It's, it's Leah. He's been tricked. And he storms out of the tent. He's got to find his uncle. He's got a few words to have with him. But before we follow him out of the tent, let's just stay in there with Leah just for a moment. I think we can um, quickly move to the comedy of the situation. I know myself as a young kids church leader many years ago, we made a video where I played the role of the ugly older sister and really hammed it up. Thankfully, there's no footage anymore. I remember also as a kid seeing a skit where Leah was played by a big bearded man. It was hilarious. But if you take away the cheap laughs and remember that actually Leah's an actual person, there's actually just a really big tragedy What's going on to what's going on here. I'll rewind a bit. We meet Leah back in verse 17. We're told that she has tender eyes. Other translations say weak eyes. And it's a bit hard to know exactly what that means, except that it compares her straight away to her sister. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Rachel was a stunner, and Leah was, well... Leah was, was not. And I'm sure that from their childhood, she lived with these comparisons, lived with this judgment, not because of anything she did, 
just the judgment of the people around her because of what she looked like. And in that world where um, status came with marriage and childbearing, what chance did she have? And Laban, he must have had similar thoughts because he sees an opportunity. Leah is veiled. She's sent into the drunk man on his wedding night, knowing full well that she's living a lie. How is this going to end well for Leah? It's not. So morning comes, she's discovered, he's disgusted. She is shamed. She's left in the tent as Jacob goes to unleash on her dad. Leah really is the victim here in this train wreck. Another poor soul, disappointed, unvalued, unwanted and broken. Jacob leaves her. He confronts Laban. Verse 25. What have you done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? Laban answered, it's not the custom of our country to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. Complete this week of wedding celebration and we will also give you the younger one in return for working yet another seven years for me. Come on, Jacob, you should have known this. Maybe I've got to mention it, sure, but we do things properly around here. How about another seven years? But don't worry, you can have Rachel in a week's time and then work for another seven years. What a win for Laban. Married off the daughter he didn't think he'd be able to marry off. Another seven years work from Jacob, winner, winner. So the week goes by. They have another wedding celebration. Jacob finally gets his Disney princess girl and they can live happily ever after. The bachelor chooses his girl and bonus gets another one too. What could go wrong? Well, about everything goes wrong. Think about this new household. Two wives who are sisters. One loved, one despised by their husband. Jacob still works for their dad, the one who tricked him to marrying them in the first place. And this, this trickster Jacob, well, he was the one who tricked his brother out of his birthright, now tricked himself by his uncle and needs to keep working for him for another seven years. It's like the perfect trashy soap opera. But Jacob, in his desperation to fill the hole in his heart with the love of Rachel, he gets more than he bargained for. And the family descends into a scramble for love and acceptance. It's a striving for significance and meaning. And for these uh, sister wives, Rachel and Leah, it's all about having babies. And for once in her life, Leah comes out in front. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was neglected, he opened her womb. But Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said... The Lord has seen my affliction. Surely my husband will love me now. Reuben sounds like the Hebrew for he has seen my misery. And Leah says, the Lord has seen my misery. And look, look, Jacob, I gave you a son. Will you love me now? Leah desperate to be loved and wanted, but she wasn't. And even though she wasn't loved, Jacob still obviously spent some time with her because verse 33, she conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, the Lord heard that I'm neglected. And has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. Now Simeon sounds like the Hebrew word for heard. The, the Lord heard that I'm neglected. Literally uh, hated. Look Jacob, another son. Will you love me now? Perhaps not. Verse 34. She conceived again, gave birth to a son and said, At last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore, he was named Levi. And Levi means attached. And she just wants her husband to be attached to her. Now we read this all quite quickly, but babies take time, right? This is years of heartache. And it keeps going. Verse 35. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, This time I'll praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. 
Then Leah stopped having children. Judah means praise. Now in this one, notice that there's no mention of her husband. I wonder if Leah here is realizing that she's not going to get meaning from her husband's affection. This time, I'll praise the Lord, she says. I'll praise the Lord. He's given me four sons. He remembers me even if I am neglected. The soap opera continues if we keep reading. Rachel, despite being the favorite wife, is just super bitter about not being able to have kids. She gives her servant to Jacob to have kids for her. And then Leah does the same. Jacob's up to four wives and eight sons. And we kind of remember those echoes of Abraham and, and Sarah's and um, Abraham taking Sarah's servant as well to have children with. And that didn't go very well. But, but Leah then has a couple more kids after bribing Rachel with some vegetables to let Jacob sleep with her. And we kind of remember Jacob um, bribing Esau with lentil stew and that didn't go well either. But finally, after years and years and years, the favorite wife, Rachel, gives birth. First to Joseph and then eventually to Benjamin, the 12 sons of Jacob. What a mess. A family founded on lies and deceit and envy and rivalry and bribery. And surely as the older sons saw this continue, as they grew up and they saw these conflicts with their dad and these women, they see the younger brother become a favorite. And Jacob, who knew what it was to not be his father's favorite, well, you know, his favorite wife has a son and this son Joseph becomes his favorite. We'll see in weeks to come where this favoritism leads them. Isn't it such a wonderfully terrible story? <laughs> so messed up. Yet this is where God is starting to work out his plans for his people. Jacob's name will become Israel. It will become the name of the nation. Each of the 12 sons born in competition and envy become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. Generations will be proud of their heritage as part of the tribe of Reuben and Simeon and Judah and so on. Through this family, God promises to bless the world. Now, this story does a couple of things for me, perhaps for you as well. Firstly, it helps me look at my own heart. It challenges me to see the places where I'm finding my value, things that I'm trusting more than I'm trusting God, things that I'm looking to fill me up and to complete me. We've talked in the past about the things that take God's place in our heart. We talk about our idols in that way. And there are different ways you can kind of figure out what they are. But I wonder if in lockdown world, uh, it's different. Maybe, maybe to help us figure out what we're trusting in, we, we can ask a different question. Maybe the question we can ask now is, uh, well, how are we coping with the disappointment and frustration of this season? What are the ways that we're finding to cope? What are the ways that we're finding to escape? What is it that's playing on our mind? What are we dreaming about being able to do? What are we trusting in to get us through this and get us out of this? I wonder if perhaps these could be the things at the moment that are taking the place of God in our hearts. It could be a good moment now for us to think about the place of God in our hearts. Lots of external structures have gone away, things like going to church regularly, maybe being taken along to church. When these things fade away, what responsibility do we take for our own faith and relationship with God? Do things change when no one else can see you spend much more time at home? I know personally that it took me a bit of time to kind of realize this when everything shut down that, that after a little while I realized, you know, things aren't going that great. I'm not reading my Bible as much as I, I was. I'm, I'm barely praying. My routines are all gone. What is it now that I'm trusting in? Is it just my own strength to get me through this one week or two weeks or three weeks or five weeks? 
I think it was helpful for me in that moment to take responsibility, to realize that I was just drifting really. And it was no good, no good for me, no good for my family. Now friends, it's totally okay to have low patches where things are hard. We all have them from time to time. Maybe you're in one right now. But in that moment, it's good to remember God is good and kind and patient. He doesn't just love you because you read your Bible. No, but uh, I know for myself that in this moment, I was um, starving my relationship with, with God. I needed, to, I needed to reconnect with Him. Perhaps there are things that are taking the place of God in your heart at this time. What are you escaping to? What are you holding on to? This feels a bit like a, a moment where our faith and trust in God is being tested. Perhaps we need to return and cling tighter even uh, to our loving Father. For some of us, like Jacob, our value is tied up in other people, in relationships. And it's really challenged now by not being able to see people or maybe by seeing them too much. For some, this season brings out money stresses, especially when work has been affected. Personally, uh, for myself, my household, we're feeling a bit of uncertainty and unease around security and money at the moment. Now, not because we don't have enough, just so you know. We're, what's going on for us particularly is that by the time that you watch this uh, on the weekend, um, we'll have most likely sold our house. I, but I don't know right now as I'm recording um, if we'll get what we hope we'll get for it, if we'll be happy, if we'll be disappointed with the result, and what that means for our budget going forward. I mean, we'll be okay, but we just, just don't know, and it makes us a bit uneasy. And we've had to consciously realize how much value we're putting on our stuff and, and our money. And our, I think it hits some deep triggers for us, probably does for you too in your context. Uh, for, for, for Ellie and I, we had to refocus on uh, the God that we know cares for and provides uh, what uh, cares for us, provides what we need. He always has, and we can trust Him even now. So, reflecting on this story helps me reflect on my own heart. Maybe it does uh, for you too. But it also helps me reflect on God's goodness uh, to messed up people, people whose hearts are all over the place. Um, God used this messed up family to bring about his purposes. And he, he brings us even in baby steps along the journey of trusting in him more and more. Uh, we saw that, that Leah, she had her fourth son, Judah. And in kind of baby steps she was taking, she realizes then that she can praise the Lord uh, for his goodness to her instead of just putting uh, her hope in her husband that he'll be more attached to her. She's taking steps in trusting God. I think it's great. It's really, uh, it's amazing that, that from this child, from Judah, comes a family line that includes uh, kings and eventually leads to Jesus. And it's in Jesus, Jesus who is the true answer to God's promises, the, the one in whom we are truly blessed. The promise to Abraham comes true in Jesus. I love seeing God at work in this story. God working in the messed up people, bringing them along the journey of trusting him more and more. Now, my heart it will still be conflicted about money as our house goes to sale. But I trust that God uses this moment to teach me. I trust that he'll work through me, through us, as we move into a new place and a new ministry. And, and in this, I follow Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus knows what it's like to, to walk in our shoes. Because uh, I follow Jesus and I follow, I follow the one who left his wealth in heaven. He left his comfort, left his security that he might go to the poor and the needy, go to his own death even, that he might give me and you an eternal home, that he might give us security forever. That's who I'm with in this moment. And you are with him too. You can trust Jesus as well. 
I know that your heart and my heart will still be conflicted when it comes to relationships that we have, the relationships that we want, uh, but we can still trust Jesus to keep growing us in that too. Leah knew what it was to be unwanted and unloved, to have that aching hole in her life. But in God's plan, God uses her and from her family comes Jesus. And Jesus is the one that we walk with too in these moments of being unwanted and unloved. Jesus knew what it was to be unwanted. He knew what it was to be rejected and abandoned and alone by, uh, rejected by those that he loved. He knows what it's like. Yet this Jesus, uh, he went through this abandonment so that we can know the sure and never giving up and unbreaking and always and forever love of God. And we, we see God's extraordinary work for us ordinary broken people. We see God's extraordinary work in us and through us, ordinary and broken as we are. And I think God is using this, even this strange time for that even now. I, I know lockdown is hard. I think the first time around we had kind of big hopes about what we would achieve and learn and the new skills we would get and how we'd be more intentional about our lives. And remember, we used to talk about not wanting our life to go back to the way it was and enjoying the space and freedom and, and, and those kinds of things. But I'm hearing that less this time around. I think we're, we're just over it and it's hard to see the way out. Um, I think as in Australia, our vibe of kind of community positivity and togetherness as a nation it's kind of dissolved into yelling and finger pointing and blame shifting. It's deepening divisions among our people. We need to be careful how this affects us as a church. We need to remember we are united in Jesus. That's where our unity is. It's not a great time. It's not a great time for us as a church. It's a strange time for many of you individually. It's a strange time for, for me and my family uh, individually. I think I've had my last uh, service at TAC with people there. I didn't know that was my last at the time, but I think that's the case. I don't think we'll get back to meeting together in the same way before my family and I move on. Thankfully, we are close. We'll see you again soon. But it's not what we planned. and It's a tricky time. But I think in this time, let's have our eyes open to what God can do in us and through us even now. God can work in that messed up family. God can work in us even now. Perhaps it's time for you to see what you are clinging to instead of uh, to God. Perhaps time for you to come back to your Father who loves and cares for you, who loves and cares for us, even with our wayward hearts. Have I talk to him now? Let's pray. Father, as we see scenes across the world of pain and fear, we see people flocking to the airport to try and escape the, the trouble in Afghanistan. We see earthquakes in Haiti. We see violence against refugees in Turkey. We see COVID taking lives across the world. Father, in comparison to, to these, our problems mostly kind of pale in comparison. Yet, Lord, we do struggle. This is a hard time for many of us. Uh, we are tired, bored, lonely, stressed, frustrated, and uncertain about what is next. We ask that you would bring us through it. But even more than that, we ask that this time would not be wasted. That we would be reminded even now that uh, only you can fill the gaping hole in our hearts and our lives. Only you will not disappoint. Only you will not abandon us. Thank you for Jesus who walked the path of suffering, who walked the path of abandonment in our place and who walks with us even now. May we find our hope and strength and peace in him as we wait for his return. We wait for every uh, tear to be wiped away. We pray this in his great name. Amen.